Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. Fine. Maybe it doesn't make sense, but innately, I just know, like when my left hand, when I'm playing, when I go to a certain change, I know that that's right. For that moment, I know that um, I've had other experiences outside this dyed redhead girl's body. Um, Because I know that. And I can't prove it to you. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And standing in for Danny Halusim. It's me, Sarah Chalk. And on today's episode, we're discussing Mr. Zebra from Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Can I have your sweater? Cause it's cold, cold, cold in my whole, whole, whole. Rider to Eastrika 9. Sometimes she's a friend of mine with a gigantic whirlpool that will blow your mind. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Okay, no. It's David Anderson. Hi, David. Hey. How are you? I'm good. It's lovely to be back in the in the drive all night studios. Are you good or are you well? Are you correcting my grammar from the get-go? Good. <laughs> this is we're back. I'm well. Should I say it more like Maggie Smith? <laughs> I'm well. Um, today's gonna be a crazy episode. So we wanted to get this out before Christmas. So Danny, she's a busy girl. She's a busy girl. So for you, Danny. What, what would you call them? Danny lovers? You Danny? I thought you guys settled on a, on a term. No, that was for my fan base. The evangelicals. Oh, right, right, right. Danny's fan base would be the, the Dan man. The, da- the Dan Oh, Dan boys? girls. Oh, I think he and I did settle. The Danalos. The, the Danalopes? I like the, the Danalopes. Danalopes. You don't hmm. like the Danalopes? I want something more graceful than Danalope. <laughs> Why? And are you thinking that's like, not... are you thinking antelope or cantaloupe? Cantaloupe. Okay. Cantaloupe. Oh, you think I'm thinking antelope. But maybe that's just because I'm yeah. in a wintry you state are. of You're mind. You're in a nice sweater here yeah. in the Drive All Night Studios. Mm-hmm. Will you describe to the people what you're seeing around you? Well, as per usual, we're sitting under a startling array of collectibles, like mm-hmm. the Precious Things promo mm-hmm. and the under the pink cassette with the pulled alternate cover art. Right. We have so many and... of those that we've created a, a paper mobile mm-hmm. above David's head. And I'm drinking festive because this is the Christmas episode, right? Right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everybody. We're Happy drinking holidays. festive eggnog, and I'm using um, pressings of Baltimore as a coaster yeah. to drink my eggnog. Yeah. So. We have plenty of these in yeah. our Torimus Collectible Vault. Um, this is our first episode back from tour. We've just completed, we and Tori have just completed the Native Invader Tour 2017. So if you're listening to this in the future, know that that's where we are right now. How are you feeling, Eve? I'm exhausted. And I feel like you put in just as much work, if not more, than Tori herself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that. I didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go through the brutal sound checks. I mean, I, he, but you were around for them, and you do your version of like a pre-show and post-show meet and greet. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm Tori Amos. You carried that tour. <laughs> I hope she knows that. <laughs> I'm going to write her a letter. Strongly worded letter. Uh, rightfully so. Um, it was a great tour. I'm so happy to have done it. I agree. Um. I thought the tour really became something special that I was not necessarily expecting. I don't know why when I went into it, but I only saw six shows and I really 
to say I enjoyed myself is an understatement. So, well, you were doing something on your own here. You want to talk a little bit about your life? My Halloween life? Yeah. If you're going to talk to our people, they want to get to know you, the real you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. David is what we call a horror gay. A horror gay. This is a little off color, but the term I've come up with for the subculture of horror gays is the Dick Warlocks. <laughs> um, I like it. The so Dick Warlocks. Dick Warlock played Michael Myers in Halloween too. So oh, to okay. me, that's like cute. Tell the people about your Dick Warlock life. My life as a Dick Warlock. We don't have enough time for that. No, I am very into Halloween and horror, and I am attempting to find a way to make a career out of that and this year i produced a halloween pop-up in silver lake and eve was very supportive of that process and i credit him with a lot of its success oh please i i guess i've had a lot of dark nights of the soul in my life <laughs> and i'm not done but i called you in like i don't know february whenever it was oh, yeah and asked you to sit down with me and yeah basically tell me what to do with my like i thought you might know like you sometimes you don't know until you ask and i'm like maybe if it's just the person i should ask what do i do with my life and he'll tell me and then i'll do it wouldn't that be nice and like you kind of did but mostly you just listened to me complain Uh, probably well had i known it was like i could (laughs) literally guide the course of your life at that moment you still can oh okay yeah okay well this is what you should do or anyone else who's listening this is what you you should do your hat in the ring you march over to that phone book and you find the closest egg foo young that's how I should start? Yeah. Is it going to come with a fortune cookie that's going to tell Maybe. me what to do? I don't know. But this is mm. what this is what the, the universe You're is telling like me. getting a download right now? Yeah. I'm getting a transmission from the Muses 9 that are telling me orange chicken, sesame chicken, and egg foo young. That's from the Muses 9. You know and what? egg rolls. Don't skimp on the egg rolls. I believe you. And maybe just to like push it over the top, I should start booking venues without knowing what I'm gonna do, what I'm gonna do. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I should do something like really self indulgent and become like a Halloween performance artist. Yeah. Of some kind. That would be really interesting. What so, about like our hot dogs and nogs idea? Well, <laughs> we, were we floating went, earlier. So what you guys don't know is we're drinking eggnog. David has spiced his up with a little bourbon filthy lie i haven't because i'm a professional and i have to edit this later so we're drinking festive drinks and eating cookies and pastries which is not a good idea for me but whatever tour's over what i have to live for (laughs) don't you worry people (laughs) right don't worry he's eating dairy it's terrible it's not good tis the season it's it feels so weird to be back in tour and drive all night mode. I think it's good that you're easing yourself back into it with like one of the interlude yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah. Right? This is no pressure. Yeah. You don't want to go into it with like yeah. Hey Jupiter. You wouldn't right. be able to handle it. No, no, no. No, absolutely not. We can't like Marianne's gonna be a whole other production. I can't wait. I, me and Danny will be crying side can by we, side. Uh, can we like bring a little Halloween to each episode? I'm starting to project my my um, um David's coming up with a new podcast. Do you wanna tell the people about that yet? Yes. I want to tell stories and invite other people to tell their stories and then somehow provide encouragement. And I hesitate to say life coaching because I don't necessarily think that I should be presenting myself as a life coach. But um, kind of look at different experiences, maybe challenging experiences through the lens of different horror films and what we can learn from that or just how I experience different movies based on things I've experienced in my life. And I think that could be very fun. And what's the title? I'm calling it Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams. After? After a song by Go West from the the Nightmare on Elm Street for the the Dream Master soundtrack. So Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams, David's new podcast coming soon. (laughs) 
<laughs> you go, girl. Do we want to talk a little bit more about why Danny's not here oh, and yeah, why yeah. I am? Or? Let's do it. Okay, go for it. Yeah, well, I mean, Danny is super busy. She's Tale busy is the holidays, time. even though she's not Christian. You think you're busy? I'm not busy. I've been, I've watched ten movies in two days. I'm not busy. <laughs> well, we all know that's what Danny is really doing right. when he says he's busy. Right. Um, Danny threw a killer karaoke party this year. I did not attend because I was in my post tour depression, and no one called to check up on me. Rude. Wah, wah, wah. What would you have performed at karaoke um, to reflect your current state of mind? Nobody loves me by Portishead. Oh, <laughs> a thousand oceans by Tori Amos. Oh God, that'll bring anyone down. <laughs> David. <laughs> Positivity. No, but back to Danny. Danny is super busy, i.e. he can't be bothered. Just kidding. <laughs> Danny is busy. And so I volunteered. Um, and the, the comparison that I made was when, you know, when the original Becky from Roseanne went off to college or just had other things to do, Sarah Chalk came in to fill her shoes and they mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. swapped them in and out. It wasn't like a permanent recast or anything yeah. like that. Swap them in and out. And they, it wasn't like soap opera. Like everyone kind of acknowledged that it was not the same person and they mm-hmm. were just like cool with it. Yeah. So maybe we can strive strive for that. Well, the interesting <laughs> thing is in the new season of Roseanne, both Beckys are back and Sarah Chalk plays a different character. But we don't know who. Exactly. Right? What are they going to do? I hope it's good. I'm really nervous Me about Roseanne. Me too. Me too. Tell me why you're nervous. Because in the interim, Roseanne has proven herself to be erratic. You think she's grown more erratic than she was even during the original run of the show? I think she's more polarizing now. Uh-huh. And so I, I feel like the, the show is going to be really political. And I'm worried that Roseanne is going to lose sight. That it's a sitcom. I think that's a valid concern. Like, the last two seasons really went off the rails, Yeah, right? that's exactly why. Yeah. Whereas, and, and the last two seasons of Will and Grace really went off the rails as well, but their season was amazing. The was, new season of yeah, Will and Grace. Yeah, the new season of Will and Grace. I totally agree. I think it's on par, maybe even a little bit better yeah, than the original. If, yeah, I feel sharp, like it has a real, sharp. really sharp, and it has a heart mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But those, like, but here's the thing, is those characters are all timeless. Those characters don't age. Whereas Roseanne's show is based on family and family, that family's grown up. Do you know what I mean? DJ, for example, is not, you know, he's not a 10 year old boy Mm. anymore. You don't know how old Jack is. You don't know how old Karen is. You don't know how old Will and Grace are. They're just frozen in time. Frozen in time, exactly. Whereas his family can't stay frozen in time. So it's a different dynamic. So I'm nervous. Well, stay tuned for the Sideways Society Roseanne podcast when (laughs) when the new series The Songs of Roseanne Amos. That'll get you through 2018. But until then, let's talk about today's show. On today's episode, we're very excited. We have an interview today with Rance Hosley, and Danny and I have recorded that a long time ago. Let me tell you about Rance. Rance is doing an amazing job in 2017 for the Tory community. Would you agree? Absolutely. Under fucking rated. Rance Hosley <laughs> is under fucking rated. His t-shirt is amazing. He did the Why Can't Tori Read t-shirts for the Native Invader tour. It was like gay Christmas. Isn't every Christmas gay Christmas though? No, Halloween is gay Christmas. Yeah, I Halloween, of all yeah. people should know that. You're the Dick Warlock. The king of the Dick Warlocks. I'm calling it now. <laughs> Good. Rance has a new graphic novel coming out in February. It's an adaptation of Nikki Six's memoir, The Heroine Diaries. So look for that in February. But what's very exciting for us is that Rance has done a drawing inspired by Mr. Zebra. Um, and we'll be giving that away on today's episode. We'll have contest details later. So stay tuned for that. 
I'll also be talking to a gentleman named Ryan Benningfield, who, spoiler alert, auditioned for American Idol with Mr. Zebra. So we're going to talk to him about his experience there. We have a conversation with a super fan of Mr. Zebra, Jared Good, who I met on tour. Um, we're going to go out and just sit at a coffee shop and talk to him about that. Um, well, let's throw it to a cover, shall we? It's Esta with her cover of Mr. Zebra. You can find our playlist and links to everything on our show notes at songsoftoryamos.com. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Can I have your sweater? Cause it's cold, cold, cold in my whole, whole, whole. Right into a switching line. Sometimes he's a friend of mine with a gigantic bubble that will blow your mind. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Into some confusion with a Mrs. Crocodile, dial, dial. Very muscles marching on, just thinks she's guys a little hammer, civil is a syllabus to blow your mind. Figure it out. She's a good You know, there's a side to me that was really manipulative, and I gave her some high-heeled pink shoes, and we had some fun. Hey! <laughs> I got to know her, you know what I mean. I got to know her and set her free. You feel rested? I do. You ready now? Yeah, while I was listening to that, I was trying to think of other names for Danny's fan base. And what did you decide? The Danny Boys. I think that's cute. I like things <laughs> it to, I'm, just, like I'm it. just thinking. I like things to be like a little more punny oh. and to rhyme. Mm. Like the, so da- like the Danalos. I'm really stuck on that. Okay. I'll, well, you didn't like it before the break. Well, that's because I was thinking like a lumbering antelope as opposed to a cute cool, refreshing cantaloupes. melon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cool, refreshing. That changed everything for me. Yeah. yeah. I know I don't warrant a fan base, especially at this point, but it's aspirational. So I'm still like, what would mine be? Um, My name does not lend itself to anything. David. Fandersons. No. Fandersons. Oh, that's great. That's okay. The Fandersons. I guess it checks the pun and rhyme boxes for me. Yeah. David I want to be like more sexy. (laughs) Oh, you just have to say the Fandersons. Fandersons. I guess to me, like Beverly Leslie is sexy because that's what I (laughs) lapse into a lot. Fandersons. Fandersons. Okay. So we're here talking about Mr. Zebra. Not only did this song appear on Boys for Pele, it has the distinction of being one of the tracks chosen for To Venus and back it later appeared on not only tales of a librarian but also a piano the collection right it's also appeared on one legs and boots is it a piano why am or is it fade to red when there's like instrumentals of putting the damage on and is it mr zebra with like a slideshow on the dvd portion of tales of a librarian i think it's tales of a librarian maybe right um what do you think of the song david I think, like, I'm trying to remember. It seems so long ago, and the album's been with me for so long now, you know, it's hard to remember, like, how I first responded to it. But I remember that this album was very hard for me to digest when it first came out. And, of course, the song is super accessible. So it was one of the first that I responded to and was comfortable with in that it made a nice bridge from Under the Pink to Boys for Pele, Mm. maybe. So this was one of the songs that you were originally 
on board with right. and willing to say that I didn't hate or find terrifying or off-putting or... <laughs> Musically, it is one of the most accessible on the album. So I can see why Young You, like, oh, thank God, five songs in, we finally got something I can jam to. Yeah, and I think I responded to it because to me, maybe this is something we should go back to, but we can talk about it now. Her, The first three albums are very much a trilogy, and there are similar components to each one. And to me, Mr. Zebra was the leather or the wrong band of Boys for Pele. It's like midway through on those first two albums, there was kind of like a dark cabaret influenced, more playful song. And that's the space that Mr. Zebra fits mm-hmm. on Boys for Pele. Mm-hmm. So I was comfortable with that, I guess, or it made sense to me. Fair. And it's it's worth noting that here you flip, if you're listening to it on vinyl, this is the flip point, the mm-hmm. first flip point in the album, which when you flip a record, that just changes the tone instantly. But this is so different than what came before. Yeah, I've never actually listened to it on vinyl, but I would like to have that experience at some point. Uh-oh. It really is a, a good palate cleanser post-professional widow, yeah. right? It's like a little yeah. a little sorbet, a poison sorbet after professional Speaking widow. Speaking of poison, Tori Amos said in B-Side Magazine on May... In the May-June 96 issue, she said, In Mr. Zebra, we pick up Ratatouille Strychnine, who we love because she's our little double agent, who can poison people and get us out of trouble when they're hurting us. But she's tired. She's tired of the poisoning. So tired. Me too. I'm so (laughs) tired of the poisoning. She also says in Women Who Rock in January 2004, so this is 12 years later. Ready for this? Mm. She says, I refer to a Mrs. Crocodile in that song. Sometimes I disguise the people I'm writing about with made-up characters because they don't even know they're in the song. What? Devilish, is right? Is the first person She's who's devilish. ever thought of doing that? And that's how it has to stay, she says. So instead of calling them by their real name because they have these certain traits, I'll call them something else, like a Mrs. Crocodile. Oh, She's so fun. How playful. She's so fun. Um, so who do we think is Mrs. Crocodile? Um, are we going to do like the normal flow? Are we going to do like a line by line yeah, we'll breakdown do, of the song? Yeah, we can do that now. Or... Want to do that now? Yeah. Okay. I mean, whatever Let's you go want. Back to... This is your episode. It's your show. Oh, finally. <laughs> my moment has come. It's going to be my year. <laughs> right. Um, we'll circle back to this, but that the quote that you read from B-Side, I think, what do you think she means when she's talking about poisoning? Like, what do, what do you think she's really saying with the concept of poisoning someone? Oh, that's good. Oh, you know what? I've never thought about it. Um, for me, it's always been just about poisoning, but I'm thinking probably sexual manipulation, poisoning with her body, poisoning with a look. Oh, okay. I'm loving it. I'm back. <laughs> We're back in the swing of things. Hello, Mr. Zebra. I uh, could drive all night if I wanted to. <laughs> Do you want to read a quote? Sure. This is from World Cafe. This is March 1st, 1996. Do I need to preface this sure the preface being that this is about mr zebra this is about (laughs) the song mr zebra lyrics to me when they become references so that mr zebra can be who you want it to be although you know that there are certain clear words strychnine sometimes she's a friend of mine and you get a sense of the characters of who they are and i'm sure the person women that you know that are ratatouille strychnine and we can kind of love those women But you have faces that are different from the faces that I see when I sing about them. That cute little babe that's poisoning the muffins in the kitchen. But we love her too. And that was important to this record. This is really the hidden sides of the feminine. The ones that get a little wicked. And the reasons that they're wicked. That's what is being said also in the story. The reasons, because they haven't been recognized, that they kind of have to mutiny 
for me to listen to them so that we can get to the heart. And that's really the core of the record. Let's do line by line. Okay. Because I'm ready for it now after that. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Hello, Mr. Zebra. That brings up an interesting point. How many syllables are in the word zebra? Zebra. As my friend Priya would say, hello, Mr. Zebra. Mm, British. Yeah, she's A British. zebra skin rug. Zebra. Mm. Do you think that this was polarizing for the Brits? Because she pronounces zebra? Yeah. You yeah. think they felt alienated? If you feel alienated as a British individual, please email us at songsoftrainmas at gmail.com. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Okay, who who is Mr. Zebra? What is a zebra? Yeah. A zebra is a beautiful, magical, not magical. You're thinking of a unicorn. I know. Right? rare it's not rare what is a zebra <laughs> i mean it's rare in america it's got that horn on its head right it grants wishes a zebra just something beautiful and unique because no no zebra no two zebras have the same stripes interesting i guess i'm also asking because tori always casts herself in the female role or her emotions she like personifies them as female mm-hmm. so she is not Mr. Z- she's not the Mr. Zebra I, in the song is what I'm asking, right? So Mr. Zebra as, is this figure, let's say, this figure who is handsome, sturdy, strong, unique. Okay. And that's what a zebra is to you? Yeah. It's like a horse, but with like a beautiful coat. And he guess warrants some kind of respect because he's a Mr. Mr. Zebra. Sir. Sir, Z- yeah. sir Zebra. Hello, sir. Zebra. <laughs> Can I have your sweater? Because it's cold, cold, cold in my home. So instantly, she needs something from this yes. person. Yes. Who's Tori in this song then? Can I have your sweater? She's unnamed. Okay. So if you, if she is, like you said a moment ago, if she is the female character in this song. She's chilly. She's chilly in her soul. She's cold in her hole. And the hole would be her heart, right? Do we agree? Mm. Her soul. Or obviously there's a play on words here. I, I don't follow. Her Virginia. Oh, her Virginia? Her Virginia. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> I want to start that. Yeah. I want to start the Virginia. <laughs> She's so demanding. Like, she doesn't even ask to borrow his sweater. Like, right. can I have it? Can, can I have, I your, have sweater? your sweater? Yeah. Because she's going to get it back. She needs it. Yeah. She, she's lacking something. Mm-hmm. She's missing something mm-hmm. in, her, in her core Yeah. that she needs from him. And that's all he has, this coat. That's all that makes a zebra a zebra. Mm. Otherwise, it'd be a horse. She wants to steal the zebra stripes. Oh and, then, and then what is he but a dumpy horse? Uh, but a dumpy, dumpy horse run-of-the-mill no, horse. Yeah, under the pink of the horse. Uh, well, I may be like really off in the weeds here, but Tori is a Leo. Okay. I don't know. I don't know anything about astrology other than basic signs, I guess. But Tori's a Leo, the lion, and she references that enough that it must be of some importance to her. In this song? Right? No, like in general. Okay. So Tori's like the lion, the lioness. The lioness. Oh, yeah. And lions prey on zebra. That's like their number one prey. I don't know if that means anything, but... Oh, so she consumes She's preying. I think sometimes there's like a role reversal happening on this album where she's using men um, for something or isn't able to be there Mm -hmm, for... mm -hmm. In the same way um, that she's sort of faulted them for not being able to be there for her. I don't know if that's what's happening here, but... Maybe. Um, and, you know, <laughs> she's asking for comfort, the sweater, sex, right. some sort of right. comfort through sex. Is that so? She's using maybe Mr. Zebra for sex, and that's kind of all she wants. Yeah, can I have him? your essence? Mm-hmm. Because I'm lonely, I'm in need, I'm lacking. Right. Ratatouille, we stricken nine. Okay, so Ratatouille is food, it's a stewed 
dish, vegetable dish with garlic and oil. And strychnine is a pesticide for killing small rodents and birds. So putting those two together, food poison recalls just all the time she talks about the woman in the kitchen poisoning the donuts. And now we have this character who's very literally that embodiment, uh, donut poison, ratatouille strychnine. She carries that dichotomy inside her, and she's used that imagery as a reference to herself when she's being devious. And even in that quote we read earlier, she herself is a double agent. So this is a person who, in her essence, houses the poisoning of the donuts, just a poisoned treat of a woman. Sometimes she's a friend of mine. So I think she's saying, I can too be a poisonous person. I too can be not a good person. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, we're not talking about literally right. poisoning Well, she's, she said in that quote, you got to love her because she's a double agent. Mm-hmm. So she's talking about her. I feel like she's talking about herself. She's probably not usually a poisonous person, but there's times, especially dealing with the breakup of her relationship, that she has been a poisonous person. I totally agree. And Tori talks a lot about compartmentalizing different parts of her personality and also on this album, uh, Recovering kind of the scattered parts of herself that she wasn't able to claim. We talked a lot about that on the Father Lucifer episode. So I feel like this is just another instance of that, of that happening where she's acknowledging the part of herself that can be up to no good. Right. I agree. What does that mean? Something that can suck you in. Oh yeah. Maybe that you can't fight against. Yeah. Like you would be shocked at the depth of my black hole. Yeah. Like the emptiness inside me. Mm. Like the jacuzzi of my soul. The dark night of my jacuzzi. The dark night of my jacuzzi. I would watch that movie. I would too. Yeah. It's so dark and deep, it will blow your mind. Yeah. Hmm. It would astonish you. I mean, it also serves to note that blow your mind does not sound necessarily sinister. It does sound like it would excite you. And if we're talking about sexual manipulation as being a way to poison the donuts, then her gigantic whirlpool that's going to blow your mind uh, is very possibly um, her Virginia. Hello, Mr. Zebra. So she's saying hello again. Right into some confusion with the Mrs. Crocodile, dial, dial. So she said that she refers to people in a fun way as their most distinguishing characteristic. So someone who needs a new skincare regimen, right? maybe. Someone who is a reptilian. Do you think this is the same person whose skinny legs need sun? No. <laughs> she also has dry, scaly legs. <laughs> okay, not the same person. Um, I think this is someone who, like a Courtney Love figure, she, was ran, she ran into some trouble with a Mrs. Crocodile. Mm. She got into an altercation with a reptilian woman and i'm going back to she's your cocaine when she talks about she's your cocaine in the press for choir girls she talks about these snakes these reptilian women so mrs crocodile fits that it's in the same family mm-hmm. right crocodile's a reptile mm-hmm. so yeah i think that she ran into some trouble with a snaky woman and the reason i don't think that that is herself because of that quote where she says sometimes i refer to people by their most mm-hmm. interesting characteristic so i'm just like i feel like she's just sort of like leapfrogging across references here that her confusion with mrs crocodile doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the mr zebra 
character that I, this isn't some kind of like love triangle or like maybe she's just populating the song with different characters and making references that don't necessarily have anything to do with one another i don't know that i'd be so quick to say that okay. i think they do have something to do with each other right tell me i don't know i don't know what they would have to do with each other except for that they po- they exist in this mythical land of this song and mm. there's a zebra and a crocodile and ratatouille strychnine yeah i don't know i mean it's obviously we're just sort of trying to pull in different references that tori has made or things that she's decided to share to try to like mold the story mm-hmm. around the song right, about right. events in her real life but who knows i know she said i guess more in reference to like hey jupiter maybe but she said at this point in her life that she was involved in a love triangle right, of sorts right. she didn't say if it was like what her role in that was if it was two other men or there was another woman Sexy. so oh, no. who knows so you're right who knows who knows yeah you're right and we are i am trying to fashion it based on like other quotes in her own life and you're right. But why else would she be telling Mr. Zebra that she ran into some confusion? Because she starts the verse, hello, Mr. Zebra, ran into some confusion with a Mrs. Crocodile. So she's telling him. That's so true. So it's, it's on... Sorry I'm late. <laughs> I ran into some confusion. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And what is confusion? Is it a mishap? Is it an altercation? Did you act- did we just accidentally bump into each other? Um, is it like the boy is mine? I thought it was- I thought he was my zebra. Or uh, what, is it your zebra? So what's what is confusion? And it, it could be as simple as, sorry I'm late, or sorry I got crazy, sorry I became this way. I wasn't born this way. Right. It's because of Mrs. Because Crocodile. Of Mrs. <laughs> right, which in itself is a ratatouille strychnine thing to say. And maybe she's also calling out Mrs. Crocodile because she's seeing some things in her that she can also see in herself. Such as? Her ability to, quote unquote, poison men, right. to use them. Right, right. Furry muscles. I'm really uncomfortable with that symbolism. Why? Like that's way too obviously sexual to me. Furry oh, explain muscles. That. Tell me. That just sound again like it sounds kind of like we're talking about in Virginia here. Oh, really? Like furry Interesting. muscles. I never yeah. get those references. Muscles are little seafoods, and they're <laughs> little seafoods. Little seafoods, and they're cute in the same way that cows are big terrestrial foods i guess to you everything's edible food look at these delicious little seafoods Mm. (laughs) Uh, but furry that's that's unappealing i'm reading common mistakes with muscles ah if there's a furry patch attached to the muscle tug it out with your knife and discard okay so furry muscles you're right not appealing not to me Kaiser Wilhelm was a former German emperor. Wilhelm II, or William II, was the last German emperor and king of Prussia, ruling the German Empire and the Kingdom of Prussia from the 15th of June, 1988, no, 1888, to the 9th of November, 1918. That shows us nothing. What's that? (laughs) I feel like that's taught us nothing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's take this as two lines together. I mean, that seems like a very vaginal reference to me. And I feel like this whole song is kind of an exercise. This is not an exercise, but Tori's moment of being Lewis Carroll or E.E. E. E. Cummings. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So I can kind of see her little furry okay, muscles okay, marching on. I buy that. Yeah. I'm going to do what I got to do, right? Furry or not furry. Furry or not furry. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's wearing a fur coat because it's cold too. Right. Like, uh, yeah. She was oh. like, Mr. Zebra, give me your sweater. Right. Throw she on my fur Mr. coat. But why Kaiser Wilhelm? She thinks she's Kaiser Wilhelm. 
Do we think the role that the historical Kaiser Wilhelm played is at all important, or she just wanted to make some kind of military reference? Because also, talking about this album, she's used terms like warfare a lot, and there's a war army, happening, so army. maybe she just wanted to pepper that. As long that as your army ref- keeps perfect. Yeah, still, reference yes. that in there without necessarily getting too bogged down in our World War One right. history. Right. I mean, we spent so much time on our Babylonian mythology in the Father Lucifer episode. <laughs> Who has time <laughs> for remedial World War One history? I agree with you that it's probably not specific to Kaiser Wilhelm, except that she thinks she's Kaiser Wilhelm. She thinks she's a... She's an emperor. She mm-hmm. thinks she's the head of something. Or she's making the strategic decisions. And sort of going with what you were saying about furry muscles, I think now I'm ma- imagining this other character, furry muscles is a new character and she's going to get it done. She thinks she's calling the shots. She's this lady, you know, maybe in a fur coat, whether she is part of Tori or Mrs. Crocodile or both. I see her sort of now as a separate character. What is a civilized syllabub? I don't know about a civilized syllabub, but a syllabub is a frothy, refreshing beverage. Is it really? Yeah. Popular in the 16th through the 18th century, I think. Really? In the 20 years since this album has come out. Oh, what would you, okay. What would you, what would your guess have been? I, w- I would have thought a syllabub was a person. Oh, a syllabub, like a, like a little scamp. You little scamp. scamp. You little you little syllabub. You little syllabub, yeah. Like <laughs> That's cute. Syllabub. I like that. I That's guess I, I mean guess. it could be it could be a term of endearment too. Why not? Do you want me to read this? Yeah, please. Syllabub is a civilized food. Oh, that's that's my note. I had oh. civilized. <laughs> okay, starting over. Popular in England from the sixteenth to the nineteenth centuries, a frothy drink. Okay, so like a light bulb. Let's take the whole phrase. So this furry muscles character thinks she's calling the shots or she is a refreshing beverage to be enjoyed. She herself is a civilized beverage to be enjoyed, a frothy treat that will blow your mind. So I think, again, an allusion to her lady bits. Civilized on the surface, but what's going on underneath? What's she really up to? That it's a black hole. She's mm-hmm. a black hole. Figure it out. She's a good Figure it out, she's telling Mr. Zebra. She's mm-hmm. a good time fella. She's not, she's not the real thing. She's a good time fella. You're right. There really are a lot of comparisons to She's Your Cocaine here, right? It's like yeah. we're talking about the same, the same kind of woman. Yeah, thank yeah. you. From my lips to your ears. Mm. Figure it out. You think she's telling Mr. Zebra to figure it out? I do. Yep. Can't you see her Mm -hmm. for who she is? Mm -hmm. Figure it out. She's the worst. Get it together. She's a crocodile. Yeah. Figure it out. She's a good time fella. She's a whore. She's a moment. She's a whore. She's a whore. Mr. Zebra. She is desire. Oh, dear. (laughs) She got a little fun to fight for money, pennies, rides. A fun to fight for money pennies rights. Like wh- who's bankrolling this whole thing? Who's really pulling the strings behind the scenes? Right. She thinks she's Kaiser Wilhelm, but like what's really going on here? Miss Moneypenny, later assigned the first name of Eve or Jane, is a fictional character in the James Bond novels and films. She is secretary to M, who was Bond's superior officer and head of the British Secret Service. So what does that mean? Again, like more references to espionage 
kind of warfare here? Love is a battlefield, Eve. Well, no, I'm really glad that you're bringing that up because that's exactly what I have to say about the next set of lines. Too bad the burial was premature, she said and smiled. It's total espionage. It's a shame that we had to bury him so early. But then she turns to the camera and winks and smiles. Yes. There's, it's not a shame. Yes. There's definitely like a smirk there. Yeah, a double agent. Mm-hmm. There's like a du- espionage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do think it's about Courtney Love. And in ways, I think it's more biting than Professional Widow. You specifically think this is yeah. about Courtney Love. Yeah. I had this vision maybe 10 years ago. I would listen to Mr. Zebra and the end just hit me. Too bad the burial is premature, she said, and smiled. Mm. I was like, that woman, she killed her husband. I mean, I'm not saying that that's the truth, but that's that's what I thought in that moment. Just like as a private investigator. Mm. I, I don't know. You don't think? If I'm still no, processing. I'm well, processing. okay. I'm not saying it's about Courtney Love, but I think it's about the same character that the professional widow is about. Yeah. Because the professional widow is who I think she's singing about. In, sure. So let's say we're dealing in archetypes here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're dealing with a second, this professional widow that she had to go into the underworld to, she had to get the talisman and Father Lucifer to meet the professional widow mm-hmm. to, to confront the darkest parts of herself. As she leaves this woman, she's closing the door on professional widow. This is where I think it is in the narrative of Boys for Pele. She's closing the door. She's confronted the woman. She's seen the darkest parts. And now she's going through the door mm-hmm. to see the rest of the underworld. Mm-hmm. But she's saying goodbye to the widow. Too bad the burial was premature, she said, and smiled. Ding. And like, holy shit. And only the the character in Boys for Pele, this redheaded character who goes on a journey, yes. knows that there's a secret. Maybe? No, I'm with you. I guess where I got momentarily tripped up was for me, this is all about, again, Tori claiming the hidden parts of herself, not accusing anyone else or making it about someone else, but seeing in herself those aspects of personality or her capability of doing some of these horrible things. Okay, so let's relate it then that last line to Tori. Yes. So maybe then... Tori becomes the she in that line. She yeah, said and maybe. smiled. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that that's another way to look at it. Maybe the crocodile and the character align. And that's how I've kind of always experienced the song is that Tori's kind of flowing between being the I and the she uh-huh. in the song. Okay. So really interesting. By the end, I think she's the one winking at the camera. Really? Well. So explain yeah, that. Yeah, I do. More. Yeah. Again, just sort of claiming the, the parts of herself that she shied away from and she is capable of being the woman who can poison a man or use use a man, but maybe she's not really, re- <laughs> she's not super repentant about it. She's willing to kind of wink and say that sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's okay to use a man for comfort. Well, or... this is really interesting because it's never occurred to me. This has never occurred to me before. So then I'm going to take it back to figure it out. She's mm. she's a good time fella. Mm. She's me. So I think maybe that transition happens there. Yeah. Figure it out. And mm-hmm. she's telling herself, mm-hmm. figure it out. She's referring to, let's say, herself as a fella, which is interesting because maybe she's playing the role that's traditionally played by the man in a in a male female oh, yeah. dynamic yeah. and having a little fund is all like she's got security you know she's got she's able to fight for money pennies right you you enjoy your hoochie woman right i bring home the, I bring bacon. Home the bacon exactly <laughs> so in this with your interpretation i think there's nothing wrong with being a good time fella and i think there's nothing wrong with having a little fun to fight for money mm-hmm. pennies rights and i think that's consistent with the flavor of the song too 
and the playfulness. Mm-hmm. Like it's not oh, all, yeah. it's not all terrible. Like sometimes it's fun to be a little bad. Why do I always want to make everything terrible? Well, that was a song. <laughs> well, that was a thing. Let's take a little break. Yeah. I'm ready. Okay. Here's a quote. Here's Tori Amos quoting herself. That's a big thing because mm-hmm. I think we look to a lot of people. I mean, does fame give it to you? Does success? What gives it to you? Does this rush, this being in love, being, I mean, meeting somebody that hasn't and you want to be close to them, you want to be near them? Mm. It's like, no. You can feed off of them for a while, but in the end, you're just a vampire. And that's what, that's what I became. You don't say Amos, do you? I say Amos. We talk about that. I only say Amos when Peter... Peter Zimmerman's in my head now. It's Tori Amos. He says, but he like legitimately says Amos, no, he right? Says, no, I think he does it as a joke. Okay. That's a tough one for me. I saw a post on Facebook a couple weeks ago and someone was legitimately asking like, do you say Amos or Amos? It's Amos. Yeah. But, but sometimes... my response was, you don't say famous Amos cookies. Famous Amos. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. that's a good point. Famous Amos. They gave it to you in that rhyme. Yeah. But Peter sometimes, Peter Zimmerman, who I just completed an entire tour with, you know, if you want to hear us on tour, go to Tour All Night, our other podcast. Some of you, it strikes me as odd that some people don't even know that that exists. How can that be? Because we got emails like, are you guys ever going to continue to do your podcast? I'm like, well, we're in the middle of 100 episodes of our other show. You should check it out. And they're like, oh my God. Did you not? I had no idea. Tease Drive All Night. We did. The, or, I'm tour sorry, all night, Tour yeah. All Night. Yeah, um, we teased it. Did we you? We teased it. But you had like separate separate tease, teaser and trailer episodes, but I don't remember you talking about the fact that you were going on tour oh, on right. the last few. You're right. I mm. failed. This everything. is a failure at marketing. That is, that is a huge failure at marketing. <laughs> um, but anyway, Peter Zimmerman, who I did the tour with, says, Amos, Tori Amos. Okay. Favorite lyrical moment, David. Yeah, okay. My favorite lyrical moment is that kind of wink and smile at the camera. If you will, at the end, too bad the burial was premature, she said and smiled. I love that. I love it. It's macabre, especially for Tori. (laughs) Yeah. I think my favorite lyrical moment is the playfulness of the rhyme in the beginning. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Can I have your sweater? Because it's cold, cold, cold in my whole, whole, whole Mm. lyrical moment. So, David, I'm tasking you with a question. The responsibility of choosing your favorite musical moment. I love the brass arrangement period, but particularly... In that section, during the figured out, it's so punchy and to accent those lines. And it really sounds like a show tune. It's very Mm Disney-ish in a way that makes Mm -hmm. sense to me with Mm -hmm. all these kind of cartoony characters like Mr. Zebra and Mrs. Crocodile. But that doesn't mean like it's it's cheesy or tacky or anything. It's it's appropriately cartoonish. Yeah, Yeah. it's very playful in in a magical way. I do love the piano build up before figure it out, particularly because you can hear her take that, that take. giant sigh. <laughs> I don't know. It's almost like she's playing this like wild, wild instrumental piano section. It's like, this is so easy for me. Like, you know, like I'm barely like breaking a sweat, like, hmm. As I'm <laughs> but I, I also love it because everything on Paley is such a performance. Right, and you feel like right. you're sitting next to her on the bench or right, in the booth for sure. with her. And I love that you can hear all that, which always, my parents always pointed out, like it drives them crazy. Like you can hear her breathe. You can hear I've her breathing. I've heard that before. I've heard that like, people before. Yeah, because it's all about like the emotion, not about the like the pristine. Right. She's got a very intimate relationship with the microphone. Right. Wow. My parents are really sticklers for proper vocal technique. They're right. like, you can hear her breathing. Like, <laughs> um, my favorite musical moment. I'm a total fan of the brass. I think the brass, and especially in the remaster, I think that you can. I think the brass is punched up. David says iffy, but I, I, for some reason, hear it better in the a piano version than I do 
on the original Pele or on the Tales of Librarian version? It might be. If it is, it's subtle. I think maybe it's just more a factor of increased clarity mm-hmm, maybe across the track period yeah. but um but i love the horns i love i love everything about this song there's nothing not to love mm. Definitely so we don't just play discovered that. folly that we had. I thought the Black Dyke Mills Band was just a brass band of Black Dykes. But I love David's that. told me sorry that there's a mill called the Black Dyke Mill, and like the dyke is a river. What? Band. I, d- I don't know these things to be true, but I'm assuming that that's the reference, and that it's not a band of roving black lesbians <laughs> stalking the night <laughs> with oversized brass instruments. That's the that's the setup I want to see on the next Tory oh, tour. Oh, great! That'd be great. Women in garters. Uh-huh. <laughs> playing trumpets black lesbians mm-hmm. garters okay well the brass is credited to the black dyke mills band conducted by james watson who we found out during our father list lucifer episode that he passed away uh, so we are not able to interview him but maybe we'll try to get some members of the black dyke mills band for the putting the damage on episode boys for pele boys for pele boys for pele baby <laughs> So Mr. Zebra marks the entrance into side B of the album, which is interesting because it sounds a lot more like an exit than an entrance song. Coming off of side A of the album, there's a lot of high tension, a lot of character development. Mr. Zebra ends in a way where these characters are boiled down to the archetypes of Mr. Zebra, Mrs. Crocodile, and rather truly Strychnine that are kind of these projections that we can all put something onto. And they take place in the super bouncy upbeat song that in its brevity creates this Mad Hatter type sense of chaos. And at the end of it, it's almost as we're pushed out, the door is slammed, and we're entered into the much more serious side P of the album that's going to explore deeper underlying concepts. So in a way, Mr. Zebra is pretty much a very high-octane send-off that gives hints of the insanity that we see later in songs like Tululin and Springtime is Voodoo, but for now is a departure and kind of a farewell warning of good luck with what's to come, and we'll see you again soon. Caton, how are you? Hi guys, how you doing? How you doing? Good. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. 
Join us for our first ever patron-only online event as we live-tweet part one of our Steve Caton interview. Listen to Steve share candid stories from his formative years. I was just punishing myself. I was practicing 16, literally, literally, 16 hours a day. As well as origin stories of some of your favorite songs. I, uh, I said, you know, I, I, I hear something. Just, you know, give me, you know, you know, splice some tape on the beginning of the reel. You know. This patron-only event is our thank you to those who support us at the $10 level and up. And it's not too late to join the fun. Head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos before December 30th. And you can gain first access to part one of our Steve Caton interview. Tweet alongside us Saturday, December 30th at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll see you there. So, you know, we were, we were in each other's lives a, a lot. Did you guys ever date? Hi, you're listening to Tour All Year, our private podcast exclusively for Patreon supporters at the $5 level and up. In this episode, we sit down with Shaggy Jason Irvin, the man, the myth, the legend, and a close personal sister of mine. He's been touring since the 90s, but today he sits down with us to talk about life, love, and of course, tour. It's December 2017, and this is Tour All Year. I said, just wake me whenever. And I just got my sleeping bag and fell asleep. On the ground. On the ground at the Murat Theater. <laughs> I just remember being woken up by the security guard. And it's morning. The sun's out. He's like, you can't sleep here. And I look around. I'm all alone. <gasps> None of my friends are there. I have no idea where they went. I'm in Indianapolis, all alone, with my sleeping bag. I hope you pulled out a Sharpie and wrote one on your wrist. <laughs> <laughs> Number one at that mean greet. Number one. For immediate access to this and other exclusive content, head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos and become a subscriber today. Hi, Ryan. Hey, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Oh, doing wonderful. Um, so you auditioned for American Idol with Mr. Zebra. First, let's play a little clip. There's a little clip that's surfacing online. Let's play that. Oh, perfect. In me, it was this show getting weirder this year. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Can I have your sweater? Cause it's cold, cold, cold. So you're a Tory fan, I'm assuming. I am a huge Tory fan. I almost am always listening to a Tory album in my car all day long, every day of the week. <laughs> I just can't get enough. I love it. <laughs> so, um, huge Tory fan, and American Idol was coming to Louisville. So I decided, why not? Uh, I picked my favorite Tory song, uh, Hello, Mr. Zebra. Uh, at the time. Why did you choose Mr. Zebra? Because it was easiest to sing without a, a companyist? Perhaps. Uh, maybe subconsciously that's why I picked it. I, I, just, I like the words of Hello, Mr. Zebra. I'm not sure that anyone is entirely clear on the um, meaning of the song. Uh, but I, I really like there's a lot of really good alliterations and, and words in the song. So I thought that might, I don't know, go with the judges. They might like it. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> Take us to that day. Who were the, who were the judges? So it was the original judges, Paula, Randy, and Simon ah. uh, from the original show. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was really cool being able to audition with the original judges. <sighs> so yeah, it was a long, like, twelve-hour day, three auditions, and then finally Paula, Randy, and Simon. Uh, and then you know we did the filming. I sang "Hello, Mr. Zebra" with all the joie de vivre that I could give it. Uh, and the judges, I think, were just stunned, speechless. I think they loved it. <laughs> <laughs> For those of us who've never had the 
privilege or don't have the voice to audition for American Idol. What's it like? So you got there and you auditioned for mm. the first time in front of just interns or? Well, actually, it's um, almost like a two-month process. So they come and do a very large audition for about 20000 or they did here in my city. Uh, and then you, and that was at our convention center. Oh, and then wow. they only pick about 200 people out of them. And wow. then they have another audition about two months later. Uh, at a different location wow. uh, with just those 200 people. And you have to maintain your look 100% for the next audition so they can edit it together to make it look like one show. Yeah, so the, so there was like two rounds in the convention center, and those were just like associate producers or, yeah, I don't know, just low-ranking producers. Um, and, and then we went to Churchill Downs, and then you had objective producers and, and people interviewing people and all kinds of like set you know sets where you can go and be interviewed. Uh, and it's just a long day of just interviews and filling out things and just sitting around and just waiting. Um, but I think in Louisville, maybe only 25 to 30 people actually made it to see Paula, Randy, and Simon. Oh, wow. That's a huge accomplishment then. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they weaned it down. I mean, we had about 20,000 at the start, and then they weaned it all the way down. Wow. Um, and then to get to that final room where you knew Paula, Randy, and Simon were on their door were just so exciting. And and I was dressed as a zebra getting ready to tear down some Tori Angus, hello, <laughs> Mr. Zebra for them. <laughs> it was exciting. Tell our audience what you were wearing that day. And we'll have, we'll have pictures on our show notes page. Ryan Bedingfield, he's yes. been so kind to share pictures with us from that day. So we'll put those on our show notes page. Yes. But sh- explain to the audience what you were wearing. So I wanted to look like a zebra rock star. And I actually had a like alias for that day. And the name was Zebrachia. <laughs> it was like Zebra Rocks American Idol. Right Zebrachia. Now. Hi. So I was wearing, you know, like black shoes and black socks and black slacks. And then I had this amazing zebra fur vest uh. that I wore with like a black shirt. Yeah, it was so awesome. I think I found it like TJ Maxx for like $5. Wow. It's amazing. I know. Um, and then I had face paint, full face paint um, with white and then black stripes for like a zebra. And I had a mohawk with a zebra with rhinestones in it. I love that. Uh, and a hot pink studded belt because those were all the rage back then. Um, and, and I looked amazing. I was like a zebra rock star who sings Tori Amos. <laughs> you looked fierce. And so you sang Mr. Zebra. What did they say to you? Did they say anything that didn't make it into the edit of the show? They did, actually. So Randy was just kind of like, I like this guy. He's got it. He's great. You know, he was just really kind of just neither here nor there, just fun and liked it. And Paula, of course, was just like, oh, I love him. Oh, you know, <laughs> I don't know what was in her cup, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, and Simon didn't say anything at all, actually. Oh, I think wow. he I think he just said, let's move on or something, you know, <laughs> snarky like that. He did look really grumpy. I don't know. I think he's really attractive. So I don't know. It was hard for me to you know, digest all that. I love Daddy Simon. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so what's your, what are you doing now? What do you do these days? So I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and I work for Volunteers of America as an HIV prevention and education specialist. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Um, where can yeah. our listeners find you online if they wanted to follow you? Um, you can follow me. Just find me on Facebook, Ryan Benningfield, and send me a friend request or a message, and I'll get back with you. Wonderful. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful night. You too. Bye. Uh Bye-bye. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Can I have your sweater? Because it's cold, cold, cold in my hole, hole, hole. Ratatouille is drinking night. Sometimes she's a friend of mine with her gigantic whirlpool that will blow your mind. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Got into some confusion with a man. She thinks she's got some little help. 
Figure it out, she's, she's a good time fella She got a little fun to fight for money, pennies, rights Figure it out, she's, she's a good time fella Too bad the burial was premature, she said and smiled that was Rachel Gawell, G-A-W-E-L-L. Um, we found that on YouTube, and of course we're going to link to it on our show notes. You can find everything that we play, our playlist, on our show notes page, songsoftoriamus.com. Click Mr. Zebra, and it'll all be there. I am here in the public with Jared Good. He is a musician. He is a super fan of Mr. Zebra. Hi, Jared. Hello, Eve French Jr. <laughs> Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Oh, it's... Uh, it's Wait, it's... you're good. You're Jared good. I'm always I'm good. Well. Um, Jared is a super fan of Mr. Zebra. You would classify yourself as a super fan? Yes, I would say super fan of Mr. Zebra. Although, if you were to ask me, like, signature song, I typically say it's like Father Lucifer or Abbey Road. But Mr. Zebra was, like, the Tory song that converted me to a Tory super fan. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. How did you discover Mr. Zebra? I have this wonderful friend, Carolyn, uh, up in Southern Oregon, and she was the one who sort of inducted me into the world of Tory fandom. Um, and I didn't quite get it yet. I didn't quite get Tory. But at the time, I was just listening to show tunes and yeah. top 40 country and things. Well. You know. Yeah, so time went by and then I went to the gym a couple of times and each time I heard a song from Choir Girl and uh, yeah the first time I heard Jackie Strength the second time they were playing Northern Lad I, someone, I think someone just gym. had Choir Girl was this Girl. Crunch was this West yeah. Hollywood Crunch no it was Southern Oregon okay. I mean, <laughs> it's where all like all the closeted gays were working <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, so I saw my friend Carolyn. I was like, I think I heard Tori at the gym. It was some song where she said, fuck. And, uh, and so we sort of narrowed down that it was Northern Lad. And she's like, all right, we're going to, like, really go on this journey. <laughs> and she, uh, we went on a drive, and she played Mr. Zebra. And that's, that was when it all changed. It was, you know, I, I think I was actually really, it was the theatrical element mm-hmm. of that song that really appealed to me in that moment. You're, because you're a theater kid too, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. You were saying you were listening to show tunes and country. It, it was just something so unexpected for me. This was something that really spoke to that, yeah, the theater lover in my soul. Um, and I was also obviously very intrigued by these abstract lyrics and, uh, at that point, I just started consuming all the Tory I could, and uh, the sort of the mythology of her world. I don't know. Just I became a little bit obsessed with it. Really? Uh, yeah, Mr. Zebra really was the gateway because, <laughs> actually, at, after that, when I started like consuming all this stuff, my brain started trying to like create this narrative out of all these songs I was discovering, and uh, and I wrote this entire musical. Uh, from Tory songs that then turned into like a trilogy. <laughs> it was that was in college though, right? Well, actually, this was prior to that. Talk about the musical a little bit, The Prince Charming Complex. Yeah, it was a play with songs, and it was uh, both a sort of fairy tale prince princess kind of realm, and then a contemporary uh, New York realm, and they were sort of coexisting in the show and. Um, it really dealt with themes of the women discovering their sexuality and uh, obviously Tori's music lent itself to, right, to that. Right. Need a big loan from the girls on Jared? 
That's right. Um, did Although you I use... didn't use that song. And actually, I didn't use Mr. Zebra. <laughs> did, how, why did you not use Mr. Zebra? Well, Mr. Zebra made sense in the that first thing that I wrote. But the, <laughs> the very first thing that I wrote, I mean, it was not good. But it was really just my way of kind of like, you know maybe like reckoning with my absolute love of Tori and sort of like finding my way to what ultimately resulted in the Prince Charming complex, which I felt was much more like true to my voice and like something that honored her music in a more effective way. Right. Uh, yeah. Cause the, the, that original thing, Mr. Zebra was actually a character. I, anyway, that's like a, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Cause it turned into a trilogy. <laughs> like, <laughs> It, I mean, there were a lot of Tory songs. I was in this a, thing. when I was a kid. I was obsessed with soap operas, and so I started writing my own soap operas. Yeah, yeah. I would write like episodes and episodes and episodes and episodes. That's all of that. Yeah, I'm relating to you very much on that level. Yeah. Okay. So, Mr. Zebra. Yes. Explain Mr. Zebra to us. What does it mean to a super fan? Someone who's thought about it, written about it, a whole gateway into Tory's music through it. Sure. What does it mean? Yeah, I mean, this is this is tricky because obviously one of the things that is very appealing to me about the song is the fact that there's not a lot to really, like, g- grab onto and make a whole lot of sense out of. You know, em- embracing the dark side, embracing the shadow side, and, like, how that sort of balances with the light, and then also this whole idea of being so many different women, like, so many different mm-hmm. identities, and that they're yeah. all really, truly part of us. Mm-hmm. Um I, I will, and I know that Tori, Tori, like when she's talked about this song too, she's talked about the whole, the Ratatouille Strychnine character. That's but it's more is like someone that she's sort of like familiar a double with. Double agent. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, it, and it is both sides where it's like the good and playful, and also the like the sort of killer and poisoner. Right. Um, and then also in my brain, you know, it, it's it's tough t- to now like separate out this idea of you know, if Courtney Love comes into play in this song. Okay. And and what and how that all sort of works. Um, Talk to me more about that. Of course. Well, from the very beginning, actually, like the whole, even having like a guy who has a sweater that she wants to borrow. I like, I, I just like visualize Kurt Cobain and his like, oh, one sweater. Oh, interesting. Um, but I don't think that the person who's asking for it is um, the Courtney Love character. Right. Although it didn't really hit me until honestly, like maybe a month ago when I was like thinking about these lyrics, the fact that she does actually say my whole, 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 like since that's like Courtney Love's band. Oh, interesting. That made me like it, it all added up a little more to me. Oh, that's um, wow. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if Courtney Love is actually the Mrs. Crocodile and sort of like crocodile tears. Which I came in thinking, yeah, which thing. I came in thinking that she was, but David insisted that there's probably a deeper thought, and I, there probably is. It probably is many things. Oh, it it totally could be. Um, it's maybe it's my brain going back to the whole like starfucker thing of professional widow. I okay. don't know. So here's a quote that we didn't read. She says in her book, Piece by Piece, she says, Mr. Zebra, there's a sinister force moving within the song just as there was in Burlesque. But they can definitely have a giggle, those girls. So it's interesting. The sinister force. I'm back to thinking that it is about the band Whole, Whole, Whole. Yeah. So, so that is definitely a place that I can't really escape from. Like Once I, I don't know what I, I read something that suggested that there was like a Courtney Love connection. And after that happened, my brain has just been trying to like figure it out. Right. Yeah. You know? 
I, you know, I thought there was because she said, too bad the burial is premature, she said, and smiled. Right, and I, and I, actually, that line is probably the one that, like, most Res- underlines yeah. that idea. Yeah. Um, but then the whole thing did sort of, I don't know, it hit me kind of hard when I finally put it all together. That's great. That's yeah. great. I love it. When you listen to Mr. Zebra now, what do you think? What's the first thing that runs through your head? It is a rush for me to hear that song. Really? I love it. And the thing is, that song hasn't really... How some songs have evolved over time yeah. live, that song really hasn't. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to like hear her pronounce the Ds or whatever. Like the... She tinks she's Kaiser Wilhelm? Well, well, I guess that's fun, too. What, what am I trying to think of? Like, oh, blow your ma ein Oh, and the, then, the and hard then, plosives at the end. The, yeah, exactly. No, totally. Yeah. Um, and then she does it sometimes at the end, too, with the smiled, right? Smiled. Yeah, I, I love that. I love it, too. Yeah. I do love that. So let's, you know what? Let's play. Okay, so I discovered something called the Chantiers, their song, Mr. Zebra. Do you know anything about this, Jared? Well, I, I have stumbled upon it. Okay, well, it was released in 1962, and we're going to play this place out with this song. Do you have anything you want to say about it before we play it? I mean, I think I think we can see the connection with the sweater situation. Really? Only in the sense that like, they're talking about how everybody like wants his hide. Oh, interesting. You think she heard the song? I feel like she must have heard the song. Because like Mr. Zebra yeah. is kind of an odd title. It's an odd title. Yeah, and there is a song called Mr. Zebra. It's by the Chanteers, released in 1962. Thank you so much, Jared, for being on our show. You can follow him on Twitter, Jared Good, with an E at the end, on Instagram, Jared the Good, or go to his website, jaredgood.com. Pick up his CD, The Good Kids, and the CD title is In, in These, these dark, dark Woods. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>
We're so excited to welcome Rance Hosley to our show. Tory fans will, of course, know Rance not only as the muse behind the song Flying Dutchman, but also as a vital part of the Tory maze. Uh, Rance is on this episode today because he is the man responsible for Comic Book Tattoo, and he himself wrote the story behind the Mr. Zebra comic. We're excited to get into it all. Hi, Rance. Hello. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you for being hey, here. Pretty good. So let's start at the beginning, or at least the beginning as we know it. Let's start with the Flying Dutchman story, yeah? Do you want to talk a little bit about that, how that came to be? Yeah. Um, and Tori and I had been friends since uh, 86. Um, we met when she was uh, playing piano at the Marriott uh, Hotel in, by uh, the Los Angeles airport. Didn't have a record deal or anything, but um, it was very obvious to me that you know she was going to be uh, a massive hit um, if she could ever find a receptive ear at the labels because uh, she's incredibly talented. So um, so we've been friends through the Why Can't Tori Read uh, debacle, and I worked on that video, and I'm actually in that video. Uh, so, you know, our, our, our sordid history goes, goes back a ways. So while she was working on Little Earthquakes, um, she called me up one day, and I'd moved back to Washington, uh, stayed for a while, and she asked um, uh, if there was a song or if there was a mythology that I related to, and um, and uh, it's like a, a specific character in mythology that uh, I related to, and I told her that, uh, well, of course, I'm the Flying Dutchman. And she didn't know the legend of the Flying Dutchman, so I went and um, grabbed a, uh, a class that uh, the fish and chips restaurant Skippers uh, gave out in the 70s or 80s uh, that had all these legends of the sea on it. And it had, like, the summary version of it that basically there was this um, captain who was um, trying to uh, sail around the Cape, and storms kept buffeting the ship and threatening to break it up. And, and he prayed to God uh, once, twice, three times, and uh, God didn't do anything. Uh, so he finally, in desperation, uh, uh, summoned the devil to save his ship. And the devil immediately appeared, and the waters became calm, and uh, they continued to sail on, and an angel of the Lord appeared and said, because you've sold your soul to the devil, uh, you are cursed to sail the seas forever, and uh, you will never have a safe harbor, you will never know home, you will never know comfort. And uh, there was this just dead silence on the other end of the line, and, and finally Troy was like, you really feel like that? And I was like, well, yeah. And she's like, okay then. So I didn't think anything about it because, like, we we talk about random uh, subjects very frequently. So I, it doesn't it didn't um, land to me that she was doing anything with it uh, until uh, like three weeks later. She called me up and she's like, "Do you have a minute?" And I was like, "Yeah." And so I heard her put the phone down, and then she proceeded to play uh, "Flying Dutchman" and sing it over uh, over the phone, and wow. uh, and it just completely destroyed me. Um, so do you um, find that you relate to the story still now as, an, as you know, 20 years have passed or more, 27 years? Or do you find that you relate to the song a little bit more? Or is it a combination? Um, it's, uh, you know, you know I'm, I'm much older and I'm much less emo uh, and melodramatic. 
so I, it's it's uh, sentimental at this point. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's more like um, uh, a bit of a fond and wistful memory, and and I I can relate to that kid uh, who who thought you know the world was completely unfair and fucked and wrong and um, you know out to get you and all those things and. Um, um, Danny, I think has a question for you. Well, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to rewind a little bit. You, you'd you mentioned uh, being around during the Why Can't Tori Read era, and you were also in, in the video um, for the big picture. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about, about what that shoot was like. Well, it was, it was interesting because the video was shot by Marty Kalner, um, who I had been working with um, on a bunch of rock videos as a storyboard artist. I um, worked on uh, Aerosmith's Dude Looks Like a Lady, um, Scorpion's Rhythm of Love, some White Snake stuff, uh, et cetera, with, with Marty. And when Tori uh, was finishing up recording Why Can't Tori Read, we were talking about um, who should direct the video. And I was like, well, you need to have Marty do it. And so I introduced them, and uh, Tori went over to Marty's place um, in Beverly Hills and sat down at his grand piano and, and played for him. And he was hooked and he was like, yeah, absolutely. We've got to do this. If, if memory serves correctly, we, um, we shot the video one night, uh, overnight starting at like, I think 11 o'clock at night and shot until four in the morning. Um, almost all of them, <laughs> almost all of the budget got dumped into, uh, the shot of smashing the Jaguars, uh, front, uh, a rear window uh, from uh-huh. the inside, uh, and that was the longest shot, uh, which is the, the opening shot. But basically, the entire cast in the video are people that were friends of Tori's or had worked on the album, or you know, um, uh, her uh, then boyfriend uh, Eric Ross is in the video. Eric's brother uh, Michael was in the video. Um, the producer of the album. Uh, is the police officer and all that. So her bass player or guitarist is uh, on the bent or is on the the ladder that gets kicked off. Um, uh, I get my crotch spray painted because why not? Um, no, I mean it was good. It was you know it's like any video shoot where it's an exhausting uh, it's an exhausting process. You know, um, I'm sure everybody's pausing this interview right now to run out and rewatch the big picture video to see a young Rance get his crotch spray painted. Mm-hmm. Um, did you always, I mean, you're so woven into her world. Did you always know that you would work together? Visually, I'm talking about the tour books because for those who don't know that Rance has done many tour books. He did under the pink. He did the do drop in tour book, which I love. I still, I have that on my desk. No joke. Oh, thanks. Um, but yeah, how did you, did you always know you two would work together in a visual capacity? Well, I mean, you know, it's the thing of like, you have, you have friends who, who you respect their art, whether it's, you know, visual or writing or, or, you know, musical or, you know, acting or whatever. And, and, you know, you always riff off of each other. There's never a formal thing of like, well, well, let's do something together. Um, the tour books came, you know, I, I'd done storyboards and, and concept design and everything for big picture, and um, I had, you know, given her feedback on on a bunch of different things. You know, from a from a graphic design standpoint, when she was recording Under the Pink, uh, I and a friend of mine drove uh, cross country to Taos, uh, New Mexico, and hung out for I think three weeks 
and I had brought her this huge oil painting that I did uh, that was frankly fucking disturbing as hell. Um, but, um, you know, Tori being Tori, her reaction to this wasn't like, Oh my God, why are you giving me this disturbing painting? It was, this is really cool. So I need someone to do my tour program. Do you want to do it? And I was like, well, of course. And, um, and so that then led to, um, uh, doing the, um, uh, boys for Pele do drop in, uh, one, uh, a few years after that. And, uh, and then after that, uh, there's been a couple of other things that, that we've, you know, worked on over the years prior to comic book tattoo, but like, uh, it's the nature of the creative beast that a lot of times things, you know, don't happen because record labels go, Oh wait, you want us to pay for that? Uh, or, you know, things like that. So like what sorts of things never made it to uh sea light of day? Okay. Well, let's see. Choir girl hotel was supposed to have a additional CD that was a interactive uh, journey through a mythical fairy mound kind of thing, an alternate universe thing. Uh, Neil Gaiman was going to write uh, all of the the dialogue and story and that for it. Um, we had gone through all the pre-production and everything, and then, you know, as previously noted, Atlantic was like, "Oh, wait, you want us to pay for this? Uh, we're not going to pay for this." So that ended up uh, killing that at the 11th hour. Well, Rance, you mentioned that when you met Tori, she was playing lounges. So you you knew her as already an incredible pianist when she decidedly was stepping away from, from that to do Why Can't Tori Read. So what, what are your thoughts about, about the Why Can't Tori Read album? It was so different well, here's from, the, thing. from so, the lounge stuff, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, the, the original recordings weren't. Um, the demos that she had, which is like the, the first of her original stuff that I listened to. Um, and somewhere around here, uh, I have a, a cassette of like the original Why Can't Tori Read demos that um, are, are very, very different. It's, it's a drum machine and very basic synth, um, but it's much more akin to the kinds of things that she was doing with Little Earthquakes and, and you know, Choir Girl and Boys for Pele in, in a much more muted kind of... Uh, fashion but the the songs the structure was incredible um like faith uh the the original um piano version of of faith was her using the um the the board above the keys uh on the piano as the rhythm track so she'd like slam her fist into it as the drum uh, track and then hit you know the keys and then slam the the board again and it was this very primal um, very powerful song. Um, she's mentioned there's disputing quotes. She's mentioned that there were two Why Can't Tori Read shows and other places. She's mentioned that there was one Why Can't Tori Read show that they played live once after the album was released. Were you in the audience at that show? Uh, I was in. I, I was at a show that they did before the album came out. Uh -huh. um, I think it was Club Lingerie that they played, but uh, which used to be on Sunset. Uh, I think it's this black facade with neon lips uh, above the door. So, but uh, I, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Honestly, what, when you first listened to Little Earthquakes, how much of a departure did you feel that it was from Why Can't Tori Read? And did you were you a little disappointed that Flying Dutchman wasn't on the album because it should have absolutely been on the album? Were you surprised? 
I, I came down as she was finishing the album, uh, stayed with her at her place uh, behind the, the Methodist Church at uh, Highland and Franklin. Uh, you know, she had just finished the early mix of the album, and it was a very different album. Uh, the, the, there were a lot of tracks um, that were on the album that um, uh, ended up not being on the album or ended up being B-sides. Um, a lot of songs weren't written on the original version you had flying dutchman there were a bunch of songs that, that were on there um so to me it's like i don't think of them as b-sides because right. to me it's all part of that that same thing and she turned the that version of the album in and, and uh, doug morris at atlantic told her i don't know what to do with this this is a, you know i can't use any of this shit um you told me you were going to give me rocket man what the fuck is this um and I was in the room while she was on the phone with Doug and he was telling her this and I just watched her collapse, you know, I mean, it was, and it was, it was fucking horrible. So, you know, um, uh, and, uh, Eric and, uh, Nancy and, and I and her friends at the time were just like, no, fuck them. It's like, you know, Eric's got the, the, the studio up in the Valley. So, you know, go back, uh, we convince him to, you know, Doing another couple tracks, um, and so she started writing uh, what ended up becoming the additional tracks, like like Precious Things and that. Um. You might know the answer to this, Rance. We've asked around, and we never got clear confirmation on the song Girl. There's a male voice that says, sit in the chair and be good now. Do yeah. you have... Is that you? Do you, do you no, know no, me? no. I, 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 believe it's, it? I believe it's Eric. Oh, wow. I win. I win. <laughs> we didn't know if it was you, if it was Eric, if it was Caton. We didn't know if it was someone we never knew about. No, it was it was part of the it was part of the whole uh, second tier of songs. So, and that was so that was done at Eric's studio, which was in Sherman Oaks. And um, and, I, and I believe it was Eric that did the, the vocal on that. So that's so great. Thank you for answering that. Rance. Yeah. yeah. Um, after Little Earthquakes was released, you know, both abroad and finally in the United States, uh, what was going to a Tory show like after that, going to see her play, as opposed to going to see her play before? What, were you surprised at how widely she was breaking? Were you, were you so, were you pleased? Were you, I mean, I'm sure you were just so proud. Well, I mean, it was, it was interesting because like the, the first tour was, was like a club tour. So it was, you know, these the small little bars like the the first time she came around to seattle was at the ballard firehouse which fit maybe 200 people uh and then like three months later you know she was on the on the big tour and came around to the paramount theater which fits like i think 1500 and it was packed and the and, and tori used to go and sit uh at, at like after the show she'd come out and sit on the edge of the stage and talk to people um, and like anyone who wanted things signed, anyone who, you know, wanted to just, you know, tell her about, uh, the music because she knew that the, the stuff was reacting because she'd been getting a lot of mail and, um, and wanted to be there. She felt like that that was her duty, uh, you know, to give back in, in that way. And the, the show at the, uh, excuse me, the Moore theater in, um, Seattle, was was one of the breaking points because John Witherspoon, uh, who was her uh, road manager at the time, is now her full manager, uh, and I were were standing there, and and we and John and I had been talking about the fact that it's like this isn't safe, so we were she was doing the sitting at the edge of the stage thing, and you know 
Um, John says, okay, it's time to go. And she gets up to walk away, and this very large woman dives for her and tackles her and starts oh. wailing and screaming and saying, you can't leave me. I need you here. Oh, my goodness. Um, so John, who's a, who's a big guy, and I, who at the time was not a big guy, are hauling this woman off while we're yelling at Tori's assistant to get her to the car. Um, and that was like, because we had been telling her, it's like, you need security and you need to not do this because this is, you know, you're going to end up getting hurt. And that was the, the kind of straw that broke the camel's back of like, okay, things have changed. So she ended up having security, but things were still pretty, you know, mellow in, in regards to that. But like the difference for me when it became really clear was that shit was really changing was when Under the Pink hadn't come out yet, but was, was finished. And we went to the Beverly Center to buy Christmas gifts. And we were wandering around and couldn't go 10 feet without someone stopping her and asking for, you know, an autograph and all of that. And everyone was lovely. They weren't, you know, problematic or anything. But um, uh, at the time, I was up in Washington. I was in a grunge band. Uh, and we were playing various gigs. And, and we were being courted by three different record labels. And watching what she, the, the fact that she had no privacy, that she couldn't just go out and, uh, and again, these people were totally nice. It wasn't like they were being abusive or, you know, hassling her or anything. But the fact right. that there was no privacy was the thing like, oh, this is what happens when things start to break for you. And I can't deal with this. So I ended up pissing off my bandmates and going, yeah, I, I can't do this anymore um, as a result of that. It's a crazy story. Um I want to segue a little into Under the Pink because you were present. Our listeners don't know this, but you were present for the recording of Space Dog, right? Yeah, that was the, yeah that was when we got down to Taos. Um, uh, this friend of mine, Zane, who I'd been friends with in high school, um, and he and I decided that you know we were going to do this this ro- this cross country road trip uh, because Tori said you know you need to come and hang out during the recording, and I said you're in the fucking desert and it's August. But we ended up going down, and uh, it really was an amazing magic experience. The The recording studio was a little uh, adobe um, house in the middle of the desert. So it was the first time that that I felt like, you know, uh, Tori and Eric really got to cut loose, and, and that they had some latitude to really experiment on stuff. So part of what uh, uh, Zane and I were... were were fucking around and shuffling across the, the studio floor, which was um, old flagstone tile. And we had our Doc Martens on it. And we started to, you know, exit the studio. And, and Eric shouted from the control booth for us to do it again. And then to do it again. And to do it. And so he ended up uh, sampling the sound. And it's, so it's part of the, the rhythm track for Space Dog is our Doc Martens scooting across the, uh, across the floor. So... Moving moving beyond Under the Pink, when, 19, when 1996 rolled around the Do Drop In tour, which is still one of the best tours of all time, I think, by any artist. Like, she goes to some very raw places. She The music is played beautifully. She adds Caton, which he just, you know, he accompanies, which just flourishes, you know, just makes this whole other vibe. Um, when did you notice her, or how did you feel about her shows evolving to include other musicians and... Um, what did you, I, you did the tour booklet for the Do Drop In uh, tour. So what did you, were you a, a present at a lot of shows? Did you? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, I think the Dewdrop Inn tour was probably the one that I, I can't even tell you how many shows I've been to, but I, but I definitely know that that tour was the one that I, I went to the most shows, um, uh, in all up and down the West coast. Like when she played San Francisco, I went, I went there and, uh, the Seattle shows and all of the LA shows at the Pantages. And, um, and yeah, I mean, to me, it was just, it was a logical evolution. Like her, her intent was never to do, like when she started, it wasn't to do just the, her and the piano. Um, it was driven originally out of the club show stuff for, for little earthquakes and the fact that, you know, she, she couldn't really get a support budget to do, you know, a full band tour, um, because Atlantic was still doing this very tepid kind of level of support. And, you know, uh, in the same way that she had more control over the recording process with, with under the pink, you know, by the time, you know, uh, boys for Pele and the do drop in tour came around, it was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. There, there's, there's enough force behind this that, you know, we, we know we'll make our money back kind of thing. So what is something about the time period leading up to 1996 that maybe we don't realize or we don't know you, someone who was involved, someone who was there, is there any like tidbit that you can maybe throw at us, surprise us? My favorite memory was, it didn't have to do with the do drop in uh, tour. It had to do with when we were doing post on, uh, on under the pink and when we were shooting videos for, um, the UK version of Cornflake Girl, and then the next day we shot um, uh, God. And God was shot in the Angelus Abbey, which is a mausoleum in Compton. Um, and this was 90... 93, right? 90, yeah. Um, and um, it was... And, and it, the mausoleum was beautiful because it was uh, an ornate... Um, Ottoman style, but uh, it was kind of falling apart. So you, you, there were crypts that the front had broken, um, and you know you, there. So there was this weird semi supernatural feel uh, to the whole thing. And then you know you have rat wranglers coming in and and you know and, and scattering rats all over the place. And um, there were some really interesting shots that were that were shot for the video that never uh, ended up making it uh, where this, this young black girl and her were sitting opposite each other doing mirror uh, painting of each other's faces. So like Tori would paint a stroke across her, uh, uh, the girl's face and the girl would at the same time paint a stroke across Tori's face. And I mean, I have very, very fond memories of, of, mm. uh, of that. And I shot uh, all the set photos, which ended up being in the, the under, uh, under the pink uh, tour program for that. So that's where a lot of those shots came from. Let's get into comic book tattoo a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How did that project come to be? Um, okay. So I was doing a, a graphic novel with my friend, Derek McCullough, uh, for image comics and 2007 at, uh, San Diego comic con. We were signing a promotional, uh, preview for the graphic novel, which was supposed to come out the next year. Image had put out a Bell and Sebastian themed anthology, and I, I thought the book was amazing. But I, you know, I'll be frank, I fucking hate Bell and Sebastian. My my first reaction was like, well, Bell and Sebastian suck, but you know, something like this would be like two hundred times fucking cooler if I did it with Tori. 
So literally the final day on Sunday, as I'm leaving the booth, I, I said to Joe Keating, who was uh, working at Image at the time, I said, hey, so, you know, the Bill and Sebastian thing, would you be interested in doing one with Tori? I could, and I, and I didn't even get finished. She was like, done, done, whatever you want to do. I uh, proceeded to figure out, like, what it was going to do logistically. And originally the, the plan was that the book would come out um, Christmas for, for a Christmas release 2008. And then Spin uh, contacted us and wanted to do a feature on it because they had gotten wind that we were working on it. And in order to do that, because the press opportunity was too great, we ended up uh, shaving six months off the production schedule. So um, what originally was supposed to take a year uh, to produce, we ended up doing in four months from start to finish. So uh, it did very, very well. And, you know, next year after that, won the Eisner Award and the Harvey Award. And we got nominated for the uh, Best Comic or Graphic Novel and British Fantasy Award, uh, which that's the only category for comics. So we were up against people like Steve Niles and Bill Sienkiewicz and Grant Morrison and Joss Whedon. And, uh, and, and, and you know, it's the cliche of like, well, it's an honor just to be nominated uh, in that in it, with that company, it absolutely is just an honor to be nominated. It's like, you know what? I'll take that. That's that's great. How did you decide what artists to work with? Um, did you know them all personally? Did you were, were they artists you admired? Well, I mean, the okay. So there was there was a couple of different competing um, motivators in this. Um, I I had gotten involved in. Uh, Warren Ellis put together a, a professional uh, comic creators uh, forum called The Engine. And I had kind of, like, that's how I'd end up, ended up um, uh, getting involved uh, back into the comic scene around uh, 2006, 2007, and uh, was really like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this, but I also have a full-time job, so I have to, I, I basically, and I was rapidly reaching 40 at that point, so it was kind of the thing of, like, I've got to make this count. You reach your early 40s, you know, to your late 40s, and, and friends start inexplicably dying, um, whether whether by disease or by their own hand. And um, and it really is one of those things of like, okay, you can't assume, like, when you're in your 20s, you're immortal, you know, you that you think you've got every fucking day ahead of you. And um, the idea that it's like, okay, you have to make everything that you create count, um, as if it will be your tombstone, if it'll be the memorial that lasts beyond you. So with, with Compute Tattoo, to me, there was the thing of I wanted to work with my favorite comic creators, whether they were writers, writers or artists, because I knew given, given the profile of it and given the length of the stories, because they were short, that it, it increased my odds that I would be able to work with these people, whereas like on a normal comic series, who knows? Um, so I had, I had my dream list of here are the comic creators I want to work with. Um, and then I also had, uh, I had wanted to have a good portion of comic creators who I felt were emerging, um, who were, were talented, who had, you know, uh, a great aesthetic or, or vibe to their work, but really hadn't had like a breakthrough kind of thing. And I wanted to, in addition to that, have a lot of diversity in voices. So it was important to have, uh, you know, gay and trans authors and artists. It was important to have, you know, people of color. It was important to have, uh, you know, a good portion of women creators, obviously, uh, in the book. Uh, 
So from that, I had a list of, I think, 300 creators. Um, and I just started marching down the list. And um, any, the, originally, the idea was that the book would be 200 pages. And with four exceptions, uh, everyone who said yes ended up being in the book. So, How did you decide what songs were going to be in the book? Or did they choose the songs from a master list of all songs? Or how did that work out? Um, so there was a, uh, a private forum uh, that everyone belonged to. And I said, okay, here's the list, uh, of, of songs, um, pick, uh, the one that you prefer, our first person to pick, um, uh, gets it. However, um, if two people really want to do a song, um, then Tori and I will be the arbiters and, and decide who gets, uh, who gets it. And we only had two songs where Tori and I had to make a decision on that. So, uh, and that was uh, Little Earthquakes and Silent All These Years. Oh, of course. Gems. Yeah, exactly. I was actually surprised at how many deep uh, B-cuts people went with. And I was actually really pleased on that. Um, I, I was really happy that um, uh, Elizabeth and Carla wanted to do uh, Here in My Head, for example. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I love that one. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean the, like, because those are the songs that are important, like, that are my personal favorites are, are songs like Sugar and Honey and and Here in My Head and um, you know uh, those are the tracks that I'm like yeah I, I want to really wanted to have those, those stories and I wanted to have them by people who who I, I loved as creators from a completely selfish motive so uh, um, how did you choose uh, Mr. Zebra to write the story for um I, I didn't. I didn't choose either Mr. Zebra or a waitress. Um, my intention originally was to do here in my head because it, to me it's it's I, I think like in her top three of, of songs, and it's also there's there's a personal level of connection uh, to that um, that really is is strong. And but the thing was, it was like so I would be driving to the office, and I had this collection of mixed CDs. That, that had all the songs that were up for consideration and I would just, you know, play them. And those two songs wouldn't leave me alone when I was driving and listening to them. Um, for Mr. Zebra, it was like very obvious that, you know, that it was a, a complete Ralph Steadman, uh, meets Johnny Carson style farce. Um, and when James uh, Stokoe came on, then it was like, oh, well, of course I have to do this. And I knew that James uh, liked drawing food. So the whole uh, Ratatouille Strychnine uh, <laughs> thing was like, the, 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 like, like, I think the panel description for that was like, okay, and here we have the finished uh, Ratatouille. Um, you know how to draw food, so make this great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, love, I, love, I love the opening panel where you, know, you can just tell that this character is completely unhinged just from that, that first panel. Well, you know, that character is kind of the eighties id, you know, all just, you know, concatenated into, into one cartoon creature. So, um, I mean, to quote, to quote Rick James, cocaine is a hell of a drug. It, it is. It is a hell of a drug. It really is. Uh, but I mean, part of the thing too, was I, you know, you might notice like Tori's name is nowhere on the book on the cover. Um, it doesn't say Tori Amos's contra tattoo. Oh, you're you're right. I never noticed that before. I'm looking at it right now. The reason for that is is strictly marketing because we Tori and I decided with John that 
the point was to uh, act as a covert um, gateway drug for the boy for the ex-boyfriend market, because at the time Tori has a, a significant amount of of cranky ex-boyfriends uh, that that don't that that refuse to listen to her stuff because they equate it to you know. Um, emotional girlfriends or emotional uh, boyfriends that you know loved loved her stuff, and it's like you know, it, it, so it equates with a breakup kind of thing. So the the idea was like, okay, look, we're going to give you a different angle and a different gateway into this stuff, and um, and I know of at least two cases where that worked. So, but that was our entire strategy with them. So that is so interesting. You know, I want it, it sort of ties into what I wanted to ask you anyway. And I don't know if this is a stupid question. Um, why didn't you choose Flying Dutchman? Was it because you wanted to David W. Mack did uh, the comic for Flying Dutchman? And was it just that you wanted to see a different perspective? Or was it a little too close to home for you to see it any other way? Yeah, I mean, it was both. There was the, the proximity to it. It's too close. It's hard to be objective and really riff on it. But also, it's the thing of it's David fucking Mack, right. you know, and, 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 and David asked what what songs were most personal to me, and so he and I had this whole phone conversation about about Flying Dutchman. He's like, "Well, I'd like to do that if if that's all right with you." And I'm like, "Dude, absolutely, please." So again, like the, the you know, it, it's incredibly self indulgent from from my standpoint in terms of who I chose to you know to be artist in it. It was like it was like, oh my god, it's like you know, I get to have you know. David Mack doing you know this story and Colleen Duran gets to do this story and like how much better does that get? It doesn't. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, very good job. <laughs> did you did you insist on everyone calling you the Flying Dutchman during production? No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> are, are there are there any other uh, rants references in, in Tory songs like Flying Dutchman that that we might not know about? Like little Easter eggs and in, in other songs that refer refer to you? Uh, oh. Well, the song "Take Me With You" was written about. Uh, it was it was written while I was staying at Tories, and there was that was directly lyrically riffed uh, line by line off of arguments I was having with the the girl I was dating at the time uh, over the phone uh, because she was in Idaho and I was in, in California Tories, and we would be having these long drawn out arguments that Tory was subjected to. So a lot of the <laughs> So I'm actually really grateful that that didn't show up on the album because that... <laughs> Well, now I'm going to have to go back and listen to the song in a new light. Right. Thank God you told us that before we do that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Rance Hosley for taking the time to spill the tea with us today. You can find Rance on Twitter at Mystery Creative, C-R-8-T-V-E, Mystery Creative. And you can find him on Instagram at Rance H and on his Facebook art page, Rance A. Hosley. Um, Rance also has a new graphic novel coming out in February. It's the adaptation of Nikki Six's memoir, The Heroine Diaries. So make sure you pick that up in February. It's going to be amazing. Uh, Rance has also been so kind as to do a drawing for us of Mr. Zebra, and we are giving that away. It's his interpretation of Mr. Zebra, so we want your interpretation of Mr. Zebra. So what we, wa- what we want you to do is to call our hotline, 323-296-9955, and leave us a voicemail of yourself interpreting Mr. Zebra in the style of any other musician. Make sure you name the musician. And we're going to take everybody who leaves us a voicemail. We're going to put your names in a bag. We're going to do a drawing live on Twitter uh, to give away this one-of-a-kind Mr. Zebra drawing from Rance Hosley. So 323-296-9955. Make sure to leave us yourself singing 
or rapping Mr. Zebra in the style of any other artist. It's going to be fun. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to be everything that we've ever wanted. It's um, going to be, I believe, the the term that the kids use is batshit crazy. So. <laughs> so thank you, Rance, for being with us today. And make sure to leave those voicemails, people. Yes, absolutely. Great. You guys have a great one. You too. Thank Bye, you, Rance. So exhausting to float around from Tory Gay to Tory Gay to Tory Gay. Are you talking about your tour experience now? Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about from David to Jared to Danny. Mm. I've done the rounds. Man potpourri. Torpery. Torp- Ooh. <laughs> um. Thank you to Rance Hosley for allowing us to do that interview. We conducted that interview prior to him creating that amazing shirt, under fucking rated, which. When me and Shaggy saw it, we were, I think, one of the first people to buy it on Halloween. We screamed, Zebra. <laughs> ah! And Shaggy, we ran to the table. Anyway, so thank you, Rance. And just to remind you, there's more to that interview. There's about twice as much to that interview, actually. And it's available to subscribers at the $2 level and up um, just by heading over to Patreon and becoming a subscriber. Um, you'll get access to all of our unedited, full, raw interviews. Um, and with Rance, we had about an hour and 10 minutes uh, with him. So that's up already. So go check it out. We're going to do the live versions. Let's do it. Let's talk about the very first performance of the song was on Jules Holland. Oh, yeah. The very first press she did in 1995. So let's play a little of that. Hello, Mr. Zebra. I said, yeah. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Can I have your sweater? Cause it's cold, cold, cold in my whole, whole, whole. Ratatouille struck a night. Sometimes she's a friend of mine with a gigantic whirlpool that will blow your mind. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Right into some confusion with a Mrs. Crumb. Marching on, she thinks she's crazy. Feel him or the civilized above to blow your mind. Figure it out, she. She's a good time fella. She could be a little fun to fight for money. Come his words, figure it out, she. From Mr. F. Idiot. Subject. Tori on later. 
Well, hey, put the kettle on, mother. I'm nearly finished on the lavy. Finally, Tori back on telly and with something new and refreshing. Shame she would have limited to two songs. I wouldn't have minded, but the other guests were a bit lame, really. Especially that I've got a big fat Tom Morrison. Anyway, she did put in the damage on. I liked it a lot. And the, uh, zebra thing on the jiggy one, which was really catchy. If this is a sample of what's to come from BFP, then it sounds better than a smart thing wearing smart trousers on a smart bank holiday on Smartland. Ta-ta for now, Pete. With the brass. And that was the actual Black Dyke Millbounds band. So you can see that they're all white men. Well, they could be white lesbians. You don't know. It's a different time, though. You're right. It was the 90s. Everyone looked kind of like... Right. I looked like a lesbian did. back then. I've seen I pictures. did. Yeah. I've seen pictures. I, uh, unfortunately, I didn't know you in the 90s. <laughs> this song has been played surprisingly few times for being so short. I feel like it was it was rare even on the Dewdrop In Tour. Like maybe it was around on the European League and then it like pretty much disappeared. I went geared. I don't think I heard it until 2001. Really? With as many shows as I went to. I don't yeah, I don't think I heard it until Strange Little Tour maybe. Mm. And it's become a little more commonplace since then. I think she saves it for special occasions. It it's, seems to come out a lot on her birthday or when she wants to give people a little something extra. So when I say she performed it 35 times in 1996, that sounds like a lot, right? But Not out to, of like 180 100, shows yeah, or whatever it was. 180 shows. Yeah. So it was like one-sixth. She did it for the first time on tour on the very first show of the tour in Ipswich on February 23rd, 1996. Here's the first time that we have her on tape doing Mr. Zebra. And the funny thing is she would either do it the second song of the night, usually, I mean, Usually, she would either do it right after Beauty Queen Horses or the first song of the encore. Mm. Usually, sometimes she would throw it like wherever, but that's usually where she did. Okay, here it is. Okay, on May 30th, 1996, Tori was performing in Pittsburgh. Uh, she came out for the encore to do Mr. Zebra, and people started shouting song requests. And someone shouted, Woomp, there it is. So she did that. And I think um, a little bit of this Woomp, there it is improv sort of reveals her headspace before Mr. Zebra. <laughs>
Okay, you want to take a guess at how many times she did it in 1998? Two. Are you joking? She did it in 1998 twice. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Was one of them her birthday? Um, yeah. Ah. <laughs> you do know your 98 Tori. <laughs> okay, good. Was the birthday the one that was recorded for the 98 record? Rabbits blinkety blinkety blink. Oh, well, I mean, was there's it? a 50-50 chance that that's true. It was Dayton, Ohio, David. Uh, October 27th, 1998, and here it is from the Tavidas and Back record. Rabbits, plinkety, plinkety, plink. Uh, hello, Mr. Zebra. Can I have your sweater? Because it's cool, cool, cool. And my we struck a nine Sometimes she's a friend of mine With a gigantic whirlpool That will blow your mind Do you remember when Tavinus and Bat came out? I do How how full it is Like there's literally no more room Space, On that live yeah. disc mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that people looked at Mr. Zebra as her Like giving you as much as she possibly could You know, she had an extra minute and a half of space And she included a minute and a half song I looked at it as her giving us a little boys for Pele because she felt obligated, but she didn't really want to because <laughs> oh, there, really? there aren't any other tracks from it on oh, there. Oh, yeah, you're right. There? You're right. That could have been Horses 98 should have yes. been on there for sure. Yes. Or again, sorry, not to make it all about Father Loser, but that was an interesting band arrangement yeah, that really became was. kind of a staple later on in the tour. It's like, why would you not include that? I think she could have done a double disc of just live yes. songs. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Still can. Still can, girl. How many times did she do it in 1999? Do you want to posit a guess? Zero. She did it zero times in 1999. But here, let's move forward into 2001. Do a do a moving forward through time sound effect. I really screwed this up last time. I was trying to do like the lost. I'm giving like you a rumble. <laughs> now I'm doing like Lamaze. I don't see. I get performance anxiety whenever you ask me to do well, something. Here we are I'm in 2001. Rendered, <laughs> rendered useless. The strange little girls are crowning. Just <laughs> the covers are two minutes apart. <laughs> Boil some water. <laughs> Um, the first time she did it in 2001 was October 4th, 2001 in Charlotte, North Carolina as part of the second encore. Yay? Yay. But that's not the one I want to talk about. You know which one I want to talk about? Uh, New York, maybe? Iconic performance because someone captured it on a video bootleg back in the day. And it was New York City, the Beacon Theater, where she performed this last tour, October 10th, 2001. And let's just play it in its entirety. <laughs> Usually the Mrs. Girl, da 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 
you have to watch the video. The video will be in our video portion. It is adorable. What would you say is happening there? I think she hit a bum note. Shocking to her. Shocking to her. And I think the like that was the first glimpse we saw of present day Tori as we know and love her, mm-hmm. r- where she really goes with like her flubs here mm-hmm. and there and acknowledges them. Mm-hmm. And it's very cute. She's, you know, she freaks out a little bit, right? And it's like, oh, no, wait. like Yeah, agreed. A thousand percent. I also think, too, I would add that she's so mortified because it's such a simple note. The progression of notes is what I meant mm. to say. It's so simple that when she messes up the first time, she's like, oh, whoops, I'll do it again. Boop. And then she messes up and she's shocked. Yep. She, te- she tears her hands away from the piano like, ah! Like, <laughs> what is, what is My piano is rejecting me. Right? This hex. Exactly. I, th- yeah. I think it's adorable. It is adorable. Okay. She did it five times in 2001. That was my favorite performance of that. In 2000, and I, probably my favorite performance of Mr. Zebra of all time. In 2002-2003 tour, she played it on the second show of the tour mm-hmm. for the first time, November 9th, 2002 in Melbourne, um, which was the same secret time, or sorry, Tori's Roadside Cafe, where she did Operation Peter Pan for the first time. Okay, I know this is not the Operation Peter Pan episode, but has she only done that twice? Yeah, only twice. Mm. And name the one person in this room that's been to both of them. <laughs> I'm actually looking around. <laughs> You were, you were like looking behind It's got to be someone else. <laughs> Can't be you. Yeah, it was me. I've been to all performances of Operation Peter Pan. Wow. So she did it a total of seven times in 0203. And it was notable in this era because the ditty in the middle, she would drop it an octave. Um, here's a little sampling. To blow your mind. <gasps> Okay, so 2005, Tori performed Mr. Zebra. Take a stab. I'm going five for five. Five? five by five. You're right. I think you've done this. Really? I think you looked him up before you got here. I In really didn't. Belgium, Berlin, Camden, Cleveland, and Phoenix, Arizona. Here's an interesting thing about the one in Phoenix. Let's play that one. <laughs> Little known fact about that, that was not on the set list. That was performed immediately after Hotel Solo, which someone in this room requested. And then on the set list after Hotel was Happy Phantom. That, I mean, you can kind of tell where she where she plays it, like what songs occupy the same space for her, right? Like Happy Phantom, yeah, Leather, yeah. Mr. Zebra. Yeah, yeah, right. Like your, the cabaret thing that you mm-hmm. said. Yeah. I think, you know, Leather, and I think she's even said this, she, if she feels like she's losing the mm-hmm. crowd mm-hmm. she'll whip out leather because mm-hmm. that always reels them back in and mm-hmm. it's a crowd pleaser and people sing along or whatever do you I... think because maybe a hotel was a deep cut or it was like an arrangement that people weren't familiar with and it was also like 10 minutes long i say how dare like, you i gotta razzle dazzle them a little bit with mr zebra i say how like, dare you march yourself out that door <laughs> in 2007 she performed it four times hamburg copenhagen tel aviv pittsburgh if she was going to sing it as a doll, which doll do you think would own Mr. Z? Santa. Yeah. Ho, ho, ho. 
pouring martinis down your cleave. Ho, 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 ho. Yeah, yeah it would be totally, it's totally Santa. You don't it's think Pip? Cold, cold, cold. What? You don't think Pip could, no. Pip could at least cover it like furry muscle, schmegma syllabub. <laughs> I love it. Um, how many times do you think she did it in? Oh, nine. Oh, nine. Two. I was going to say two again. Yeah. Two times. 2010? Zero. Once. Uh-huh. Manchester at Bonnaroo. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Can I have your sweater? Cause it's cold, cold, cold in my whole, whole hell. Ratatouille is stricken nine. Sometimes she's a friend of mine with a gigantic whirlpool that will blow your mind. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Ran into some confusion with a Mrs. Crocodile. Muscles marching on, she dinches guys with me and hammer a silver light syllabub to blow your mind. Figure it out, she. She's a good time fella. She got a little fun to fight for money, pennies, rights. Figure it out, she. She's a good time fella. To bed the burial was pretty. She said, it's smile. But that whole show was great. Yeah. The whole the whole Bonnaroo thing was great. I'm so glad she did Bonnaroo. She should do Bonnaroo again. What do you think? I think she should Crickets. do any US shows between Agreed. tours. Yeah. So now we're gonna move to a 2011 tour where she was with the quartet. It had to have been played more often on Night of Hunters because she was doing more interludes to allow the quartet to to tune and, and do their business. Exactly so like right. suddenly Way Down was almost like a staple. Right. Way so. Down, Graveyard became a staple again. Mm-hmm. Mr. Zebra became a staple. Guess how many times she did it? 30. 26. Oh. So yeah, staple. So in 2012, we move on and she did it one time in 2012. Did she? I was going to say zero and then get annoyed because she did like programmable soda with the orchestra, but I she could have done Mr. Have... Zebra with but the orchestra. But she did it solo though. Prior to Edge of the Moon in Berlin at the Philharmonie. Guess how many times she did it on her Unrepentant Geraldine's tour? I'll say lucky 13. She did it 10 times. And then guess how many times she did it? We have one. This is the first time we are doing the Native Invader tour stats. I know. I was thinking about that the other day, that it's going to like throw everything for yeah. a loop now. And all of your numbers are invalid and incorrect. And the other ones. To go back and correct well, always, everything. I mean, yeah. We're all different people post the Native Invader tour. <laughs> Guess how many times she did it on the native, the entire Native Invader tour? Going for two again. Four times. Mm. Do you want to hear my favorite from this tour? Yes. I'm going to... I really enjoyed Eugene, but I'm not going to play that one because I enjoyed a little bit more the final performance from LA3 because I was at the... You know, I had rushed. I was right at the front and it was all coming to an end and she came out and instead of giving us... Serving us some like toast... You know, something that's going to make us die crying. She put on a brave face and did rabbits plinkety plinkety plink. Mm-hmm. And here we go. Hello, 
102 times for Mr. Zebra live. I miss tour, David. Me too, and I only did six shows, but I do miss That's it. That's sad. Well, this episode has come to an end, much like tour came to an end, and, and my life. Year. And the year. I'm getting bummed out. This what is you... Christmas Eve, another year over. <laughs> so what this have you is done? Christmas. Yeah. And Merry Christmas to you. Here's the Boy Who Can Remix doing Up the Creek. What do you want for Christmas? Now that we're at the end of our Christmas episode, let's talk the holidays. What are you getting me for Christmas? Hope. No, that's what I want. Sorry, that's not what I'm getting you. I can't afford it. Uh, I want the next year of my life, 2018, to be commendable. This year was commendable. I always look back at this year fondly because of the tour and because of doing the show. And I want the next year to bring me love and hope and happiness the same. That's what they say, right? You can lead a, a zebra to hope, but you can't make him drink. You can lead a zebra to hope, but you can't make him put on your sweater. <laughs> you need to put that on a pillow. Oh, shit. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you like what we do, please head over to patreon.com where you can subscribe to us immediately. It's a big month, December, for us. We have our Steve Caton interviews coming out. We have Tour All Night All Year. The first episode was Shaggy. And we have this episode coming out. So head over to patreon.com slash songs of and you can subscribe to us at many different levels. Um, the $5 level gets you Tour All Night All Year. The $10 level gets you our Drive All Night Plus episodes, which we're resuming. And in 2018, we'll be producing Drive All Night on a much more consistent basis. Now that the tour's over, we're back to our duties, keeping you in Tory all year long. If you want to follow our social, please follow us at Songs of Tori Amos on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email us, songsoftoriamos at gmail.com. Don't forget to call our hotline to enter our contest to win a one-of-a-kind Mr. Zebra drawing by Rance Hosley. That number is 323-296-9955. And sign up for our newsletter, songsoftoriamos.com, on our website. David, it's been lovely. It has been lovely. Where can people find you online? You have to be available. If you're going to be a podcast host of your own podcast now, you have to be available to the people. That's true. People have to be able to contact you at all hours. It's a 24-hour news cycle. You can find me at Unreliable Narrator on Instagram, Unreliable Nar, that's with two R's, on Twitter, or UnreliableNarrator.org, not .com. Mm-hmm. Should it be Unreliable Nair? Unreliable Nar. But you don't say Unreliable Narrator. Unreliable Nair. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I don't know why I do Famous, that. Famous Amos wrong with everything unreliable i know it's so true unreliable i appreciate you dressing up for the holidays i always do i'm wearing a zebra print 
button down shirt under it's your scraping. sweater. Yeah. yeah. As we've discovered, if we've learned anything on this show, it's that They're zebras magical. are not horses. They're magical. Or reptilian. They're not. They yeah. are mythical creatures that grant wishes. Yes. They have horns. Mm-hmm. And sometimes turn into Oreos. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, because zebra stuffed. Oh, the zebra cakes? I love yeah, that's how the they zebra reproduce. Zebra, zebras lay Oreos, right? Aren't Oreo zebra eggs? I'm, I'm here talking about little Debbie. <laughs> little Debs. Little Debs hostess. Furry muscle snack cakes. Goodbye. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com.